Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. Hello and welcome to Sega Talk, the podcast where we talk about Sega. My name's Barry. With me is my co-host with the mo-host, George. The best. The best. best. <laughs> George means best. Um, and on this episode, we are going to be talking about, or I should say we are going to be taking flight and talking about Panzer Dragoon, the 1995 Saturn game from Sega's Team Andromeda. And so let's, let's dive right into it. Panzer Dragoon, the name comes from German and it means Armored Dragon. And uh, the team thought that it was too bland, so they went with the German translation. I mean, would you play Armored Dragon? I think it's a little bland. <laughs> Panzer Dragoon, I never knew what it meant, but, I mean, it sounded cool. It sounds cooler than Armored Dragon, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Armored Dragon sounds like a PlayStation game that you find in a bargain bin or something like that. Um, but this was the first title from Sega's newly formed Team Andromeda, as we mentioned, and it was led by Yukio... Futasugi, I believe I've said that correctly. If say I didn't it, say it five times real fast, Yukio Futasugi. Okay, Yukio okay, Futasugi, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, and he was only at Sega for two years when he pitched the idea, which became Panzer Dragoon, and the game has oh jeez, <laughs> sorry, the game is uh, twenty three years old. Twenty three. The way years you old. wrote these notes, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it my fault, me guys. Uh, but um. Yeah, so during the development of the game team, Andromeda only had 15 people on staff, and it took a year to finish from the start of development. And so, hey, I mean, what do you first think, off, Barry? that's... You think that's, that? a lot of, you think that's a lot of people nowadays for a game? Nowadays, that seems like a small amount. Back then, that feels like a lot, though. I feel like contemporary games, you know, games at that time like Sonic... They had a smaller staff, didn't they? Yeah, of course they did. But it's kind of it's crazy to think of that they made this 3D launch title in un, like a little bit under a year, with only 15 people, with this like very ambitious uh, art style, very ambitious music, very ambitious. Everything was ambitious in this title. It felt like it wanted to be the best rail shooter of all time. And what do you think? Like, you think they should have put more staff on it, or you think that 15 is about pretty good? <laughs> I think that's a pretty good number of staff. I mean, I'll admit that the first game is never my go-to Panzer Dragoon. I always go for the sequel, but it's still, you know, when you dive into it, it's still a great game, obviously, and we're going to touch on a lot of reasons why. But um, but it is interesting because this was a Sega Saturn exclusive, but when you look at it, it really feels like an arcade game. And the reason for this is that the game came from... Uh, a lot of people who were from arcade development, you know, developers on the game. And the idea behind the game was to create the first true 3D rail shooter. And so, of course, a major inspiration for this game was Space Harrier. Um, other games included Starblade, Star Fox, and Rayforce. And while most of these games had the players riding in a ship, the team thought that a dragon would be more original and lead to richer animations. And just speaking per from personal experience, you know, before we got on uh, to record this, I played a bit of the game, and you connect with that dragon unlike 
any of those other games I just mentioned. You're not going to, even Space Harrier, I love Space Harrier, but you're not going to look at Space Harrier and go, God, I really feel for that giant, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell that thing he's holding, ice cream maker under his arm. You know, you don't feel for it. Even the Star Fox ship, it's just, like, four shapes. It's not something you really feel for. Yeah, but when, it, when you get when you get hit and you hear that thing go, <laughs> you're like, no. Yeah, and like the animation, you know what? I never thought about that, but it is crazy that the animation was pretty decent for what it, for the time period. Especially, there wasn't that many good animated 3D games. If you think about it, a lot of them try no. to cut corners. They're like, oh, a ship, you know, you don't move it, it just uh, just sits there, you know. So yeah, and I'm. Just touching on the animation, you know, the the game kicks off and you have those CG cutscenes. And I gotta say, I mean, those, first off, they look incredibly dated. They look like um, something that you would put together as a first draft internally to get the the pacing down. And they just, I I feel like they don't do a good job setting up the game. Because as soon as you get into the game, the animation, the in-game animation is a lot better. Well, let's let's actually talk about that because it's funny because that's actually one of the things that a lot of people at this time period really loved about this game was the opening CGI animation, which right now we think about as like very primitive. Like you said, it looks like when you when you see a movie leak and it's like, oh, it's really rough CGI. That's what it kind of looks like. Mm-hmm. But at this mo- at this time, apparently there was a lot of people really interested in Sega because of their CGI in this move in this game. Apparently, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg came up to them at E3 when they saw the game to talk to them about the game and the ideas behind it. That's pretty incredible, considering he's a huge director, especially during '95, which is before he oh, made that sure. his one movie, uh, AI. <clears throat> right, and I mean to, to just put it into context um, with the animated cutscenes at the beginning. You know, Toy Story had just come out. Uh, the TV series reboot was in its, I believe, second season. So, I, I mean, I would say that the animation for the cutscenes is about at the level of reboot, which is, you know, it's early as well, but it's watchable. It looks nice. I don't mean to be down on it, but I guess I was just trying to say that the in-game animation was so great that I feel like the 3D cutscenes don't really match it. I agree. I mean, I don't think they were terror. I mean, they were product of their time, that's for sure. I mean, if you put that in the game now, you would be laughed off uh, the face of the earth, but... For its time, I think it did something that not any other studio was doing. I can't even maybe the Twisted Metal they came Twisted Metal they came out on um, PlayStation had 3D animated. I mean CGI scenes. I'm not sure, but yeah. it's very rare for a game to have it, especially a rare sh- rel shooter shooter like this. Right, and also the the cutscenes were long too. Like you're sitting there for a good what three or four minutes before the game starts. Oh yeah. Um, what do you think? Like, do you think this game is the evolution of rail shooting? Like, did, did, to you, did it feel like, all right, we started off at Space Area, we went on Star Fox, we had other games in between, but this is the next level because there's not that many people doing rail shooters. It's not a popular genre. I I do. Um, I mean, and just you know, rail shooting. I I wouldn't consider Space Harrier to be a rail shooter. I guess because we never really thought of it that way. I guess once you moved into the 3D realm, that's when the rail kind of came into play. Because, you know, Space Harrier, you're going straight ahead. You're not going off to the left or the right. There is no real kind of roller coaster experience. But as soon as you bring it into the 3D realm, obviously you have more of a sense of space. You can move up, down, around. You can spin around. And so I, I 
feel like, yeah, it, I definitely think it was a evolution in the 3D rail shooting genre, but I'm having, I, I guess just right now, I'm having trouble kind of connecting it to Space Harrier. You get what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean the the aspect of it, and the I'm assuming that they came out with like the whole idea, like, oh, it's gonna be behind the camera. But I mean, they added so much things to it. Like, they added the 3D effect where you could go around and shoot behind you, shooting behind uh, on the left and the right. Mm-hmm. But and yeah, I, I'd say compared to Star Fox, it's a huge jump up. And I know that a lot of Nintendo fans love Star Fox, but. Man, Panzer Dragoon blows Star Fox out of the water, in my opinion. Even Star Fox 64? Eh. That's a hard one. They're totally different games at that point. Yeah. You think that yeah. Panzer Dragoon would have been a better game if they just dropped the rail shooting aspect of it and just made it, like, fly anywhere you want? That's hard to say, because, I mean, we did see a bit of that in Panzer Dragoon Saga. It wasn't... I mean, it was open, but there wasn't a lot to explore. It kind of felt kind of open to the point where I didn't really appreciate the openness. I know I'm sounding down on one of the most beloved Saturn games now, but I guess it's just the speed of the game. It's a very kind of slow-moving game when you think about it. Oh, yeah. It's compared to this, and I, I could tell that, like, they put so much effort into this game that they wanted the world to shine that I think uh, the... JRPG aspects of Saga kind of make that come to light. You could tell more of a story and narrative compared to a mm -hmm. real shooter where you have like a, a three minute cutscene in, in CGI and then there you go, you're launched into this world and you're on a dragon. Right, of course. Um, so, I mean, what what about games like Starblade or Rayforce? What's your opinion on how Panzer Dragoon stacks up against those? I haven't played Starblade or Rayforce, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> it was just. Uh, when I did the notes, it was just in the list of games they were inspired by. I put it in there. Have you played Starblade and uh, Rayforce? Of course I have. No, I haven't. I, I did watch some videos. And, you know, I mean, Starblade, it's it's your kind of typical 3D space shooter. I, I just feel like Panzer Dragoon, when you when you put it on Earth and you're not in space, it, it makes it feel more like flight. And I, I, I don't know if... That, if if I'm explaining that correctly, but when you're in space, you're expected to float around and move around. But in Panzer Dragoon, with the wind, the wings of the dragon moving, and you see the skies, and you're you're moving across the land. When you have ground below you, it gives you much more sense of movement than a space game does. I mean, I, I one of my favorite games growing up was uh, Lucas Arts uh, Tie Fighter. I love that game, but you really didn't get a sense that you were actually flying about, even though you were, just because you know, spaces all around you, outside of some stars moving and a few ships getting closer to you, it it didn't give that same sense of flight that Panzer Dragoon did. And I think the the wings of the dragon and the ground below you were two major things. Oh, for sure. Uh, you want to start talking about the art style and uh, how they came up with this concept of this great grand world of dragons? Yeah, absolutely. You know, of course, the art style is one of the major defining uh characteristics of the game and the series as a whole. I mean, you look at Panzer Dragoon and you compare it to a lot of other contemporary Japanese games and it just it it can't compare. It's it's very very much in line with uh, and we'll name some of these off. It was influenced by The Long Afternoon of Earth by Brian Aldiss, 
Uh, it was also influenced by Nausicaa from uh, Hayao Miyazaki, which is a fantastic film if you haven't seen it and you love Panzer Dragoon, or if you just like good movies, it's definitely worth checking out. There was the Arzak comic book by major influence on Panzer Dragoon. Uh, there was Dune the Movie by David Lynch, and we'll get into how all of these connect in a moment. Uh, the Gundam anime, and The Wings of Hana... Hanamai's a uh, 1987 anime film. So you want to talk a little bit about how, how some of these kind of connect and how some of these were actually influenced by them each other? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess The Long Afternoon of Earth is like a sci-fi novel. Uh, I guess one of the developers on the game, I forgot who, but one of them was read this story when they were a kid a lot, so they that they were influenced by that. Um, Nasakura the anime film that one's obviously like a an earth i guess they fly a lot uh i've only watched it a few times but it's a good film the art style kind of does remind me of a lot of uh, Pan uh panzer dragoon the way they draw the the characters the male characters female characters has that like 80s anime vibe to it yeah lots of little ear flaps and hats and things like yeah. that yeah, exactly. And that's actually Mobius also does a lot of art. He's a French artist. He did a lot of comic books, a lot of underground comic books. He worked on Silver Surfer and some Marvel stuff that he's known a lot for. But he's mostly known for his like psychedelic, Mad Max-inspired, uh, post-apocalyptic world art. So, and Dune, same thing. Um, Gundam anime is actually an interesting one. Apparently they, they wanted over-the-top stuff, like, you know, the Japanese, right? So they said they wanted something like Gundam, where it's like, like spiky-haired people having a big sword. But you don't really see that too much of that in the game, like outside of the, you're on a flying dragon and you're shooting planes and stuff down. Right, right. Um, and then the last one, that the wings of uh, Hanamosi, whatever you how you pronounce it. Apparently, mm -hmm. that anime film created its own language, which made them want to create their own language for this game. Which we'll talk about. It's a, a mixture of. Uh, I throw it somewhere here. Oh, Greek, Latin, and Russian. And when you first played this game, did you remember, like, oh, this is a fake language. Did you know right away? Or <laughs> is it something you figured out later on when you read about the game? It's something I figured out later on. Uh, when I first played this game, it was probably the late 90s. And so I wasn't well-versed in the Japanese language. Um, so I just assumed that it was some, like, Asian language. Like, this was an import, and they just didn't translate it. And then later, when I was learning more about the other games in the series, and especially Orta, when that came out, I realized that, oh, they made up their own language. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I never knew that either. I think, you know what? It took me all the way to playing, yeah, Orta. I, I uh, read an interview with the Mac because I was really into that game. Like I really wanted an Xbox at the time. I didn't have one. The Dreamcast was dead. I felt betrayed. Um, <laughs> so I was reading reviews, and I'm like, "This game's gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be." I had like high hopes for it. I played them on the Saturn. I was a huge fan. So when they started doing, I was reading the reviews. They were saying about the you know made up language, and I'm like, "Oh my god! I didn't even know that. I can't believe it." Because, I mean, when we're, when we're yeah. kids, it's not like we could just go on the internet and look it up. We don't... And, go on. Well, one of the things I wanted to get into with these influences, so these, uh, these books and these movies that influence them, of course, uh, before we recorded this, we were talking a little bit about Mad Max, The Road Warrior. Obviously, it's, it's kind of the similar desert wasteland, lone warrior going up against a, uh, a 
bunch of evil people. I mean, that's nothing new. You've seen that in, in several different sorts of fiction. I mean, you even see that in Waterworld, which is basically Mad Max on water. Um, and But what I, what I think makes Panzer Dragoon stand apart is that from some of those is that there's really the characters don't feel like they're living in a wasteland. It just kind of, you know, it, it, there's lots of rocks, there's lots of weird aliens and creatures, but they just live. This is just how they go about life. And there is a history, um, and if you want to touch on the story after I, I finish rambling, uh, but there is a history that they're aware of, but it's not something that they're clinging to. Like Mad Max, where he's like, oh, I remember when I'd watch TV and hang, hang out and my wife and kid were alive, but now I'm you know, driving around with my car. I think that's how the movie opened. I think he said that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's much more hopeful. I don't think it's a... I, I wouldn't say it's a post... It is post-apocalyptic, but it's a hopeful kind of apocalyptic. Uh, yeah, it's about a, a boy and his friendship with his dragon. It's a beautiful thing, you know? It's like yeah. how to train your dragon. Or The Black Stallion, if you've ever seen that film. I have not... Uh, but uh, the story is pretty simple. It's it's in this world where they don't really say it, or I've never read that they said this, but uh, ancient technology is being uncovered, and this emperor empire is like gathering it all up, you know. And they're looking for this one piece. I forgot what it's like—a temple or something that's supposed to have power to destroy everything. And the emperor, and I think there's an, another faction that's trying to look for it. And you're like a I don't even know what the kid is in this in this book. I mean in this one. I forget what his story is in this one. I know there's Edge from uh, Saga. That one's more fleshed out. But you get a dragon and you stand up to the Empire. Empire, I think is this, is it this one the one that you stand up to the Empire? I think it is. But yeah, yeah. the the main character his name is Keel K E I L, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's a very simple story, especially when you get into the later ones. But it's Keel Flug. And uh, the reason why you're drawing a blank is he was unnamed in the Western versions. Yeah, that's true. And uh, but yeah, so that's it's the simple story, and that each one has a different writer, and they all have their own story to go with their. It's kind of like you're reading a legend in their world. Uh, yeah, it's pretty and- interesting. But uh, what do you think about the story? Do you think uh, it was done well enough? You think it should be more overcomplicated, like? Uh, <laughs> Sonic 06 that we did the last episode? Uh, no, no. I think just it's a great way to kick off Panzer Dragoon to go very simple because, you know, the story is basically this kid or, like, you know, unnamed in the Western version. I guess they figured, well, they don't need to know who you are. It's you. You're the player. Um, and he's just in a hunter party. He encounters a fight between two dragons, the, the hero dragon, the solo wing, and the evil one, Dark Dragon. The Rider of Soul Wings wounded, you take over, and then you go after the Dark Dragon. It's pretty simple. Hey, that's <laughs> so. just how it's done, dude. That's how it's done. And, and so, um, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, um, did you know, I, I mean, you knew this, but the audience doesn't know this, so let's uh, let's give them a little, uh, let's blow their mind. Uh, Mobius, who is a big uh, influence on them they actually did the cover for the japanese version of the game but it was changed and i don't think i've ever read why it was changed but i think i know why it was changed i know because uh sega changed the 2d artwork that he did for the japanese release which is beautiful by the way and he changed they changed it to 3d models and they're kind of outdated now the 3d models but i guess at the time they were thinking people wouldn't know it's 3d if it wasn't 3d on the box 
everybody wanted to be 3D, and Sega didn't want everybody to think that Sega Saturn couldn't do 3D. Because it was being bad-mouthed, because it really couldn't do 3D that well. But what do you think? you think it was better to change the art co- the cover art for the U.S. Uh, market? I mean, from an artistic standpoint, no, I don't think it was a good idea. From a marketing standpoint, unfortunately, yes, I do think it was a good idea at the time. Just because, like you said, you know, the, the Sega Saturn wasn't well known to be a 3D game. And this was probably one of their biggest 3D games and 3D franchises. And so to put 2D art on the cover, well, as beautiful as, as it is, in the end, they're trying to get people to buy this over the competitors. And if they're looking at it and going, oh, wow, look at all these 3D games on the PlayStation. Oh, what's this? Like a, a 2D dragon game. But as soon as you throw that 3D art on there, and you've seen this with dozens of games at that time, you know, the cover art's laughable now. But back then, you know, when you did that, it told people it was a 3D game. It's unfortunate, but it's how it worked. Oh, it's true. I agree, though, and it, it's kind of sad that we missed out on a lot of games in the Sega Saturn because they were not 3D. But this is, uh, I wouldn't, I don't mind the cover. I just wish they would put the actual artwork inside the, co- in, in the manual. It's kind of a waste, to be honest with you. Yeah, that would have been nice at the very least, put it inside. So, uh, a lot of people consider the soundtrack for this game to be ahead of its time. Uh, it had an, uh, ar- what, how do you say it, orchestra? It had a, uh, I don't know, it's very, um, epic, I guess that's a word <laughs> we could use to describe it. Um, what are some of your favorite tracks, Baron? The opening fanfare, I think, will forever be etched into my brain just because you hear it so much every time you start up the game. But it's great. It's like, I guess to compare it, it would be like the Star Wars uh, blast at the beginning of each movie. You know, it's just like, as soon as you hear that trumpet, you know you're going to be playing some Panzer Dragoon. And then, of course, the first track is just beautiful as well. Um, and I guess that's that's kind of the case with a lot of Sega games and video games in general, is you always remember the opening titles and the first track just because you've played it again and again and again and this but, uh this album this thing was like good from the start and the finish even the staff roll credits were good and i think uh flight i think is one of the mm-hmm. most thought about songs when people think about it and it's yeah it's fantastic I, I it's hard to choose just one track i think everybody that's a sega fan or calls himself a sega fan needs to listen to this soundtrack at least once and if you have a record player and you like collecting vinyls, the Data Discs uh, just announced last earlier this week, actually, I think, uh, Panzer Dragoon on vinyl. So that's out there to buy and have by Christmas. And I obviously pre-ordered it, and I can't <laughs> wait to have it. I hate I hate it because my the needle on my record player broke like three days ago. It just snapped off, and I'm like, God damn it, I want to get some Sega vinyls. Yeah, they're really well done. Uh, I recommend everybody to buy some. They have other games, not just Panda Dragoon. So check it out. Um, the, actually, the guy that wrote the music died in 2012. So uh, rest in peace. Great soundtrack. I uh, can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to butcher it. Uh, Oshitaka Azuma. You owe the I guy did. that much. Yeah. <laughs> I owe that. He has a fabulous mustache. So... And he probably lived a very sexual life, the mustache like that. Um, Absolutely. We could talk about uh, uh, we could talk <laughs> we could talk about the okay. 
Panzer Dragoon was a Sega Saturn launch title, and a lot of people kind of badmouthed Sega's launch because it was a surprise launch. They tried to get ahead of PlayStation because they were $100 more, so they thought, hey, if we sell it sooner, people will not care about the price difference. So they launched a couple months before the PlayStation, and a lot of people did not like their uh, launch lineup, so I'll, I'll, let's talk about that. Yeah, let's go through it. Um, the Sega Saturn had a, the launch. These are the launch titles they had: Clockwork or uh, Clockwork Night, <laughs> uh, Cockwork Night. I almost fucked it up. <laughs> you almost said Clockwork Orange, which would have been a really weird launch title. Dude, that would have been a good launch title. Uh, Daytona USA, which was not well received. Um, Panzer Dragoon, Pebble Beach Golf Links, Virtual Fighter, which also I guess uh, it's all right. Like, was it all right? No, this one was the one that was butchered, wasn't it? Worldwide Soccer Sega International Victory Goal Edition. God nice. Damn. Yeah, so well, so let's talk about those. So, like, I mean, just on paper, that sounds really good. You get Virtua Fighter and Daytona USA, two arcade classics, in your home. Hey. Uh, and then, of course, there's Panzer Dragoon, fantastic game. Clockwork Knight, it's, it's all right. It's a... Clockwork Knight, it's all right. It's a 2.5D uh, game. It's 3D, but, you know, you move along a linear path. It's interesting. I, it's fun. A lot, a lot of people uh, seem to like this game, but it's kind of weird because I feel like Toy Story, the, the Super Nintendo slash Sega Genesis game based on yeah. the movie... Yeah, uh, it looks a lot alike for being on a on a 16-bit console, doesn't it? Yeah, that's true. And I will say that Toy Toy Story, at least from what I've played on the Genesis, that's a really fun game. Uh, oh, it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, um, but like you said, you know, I, I don't want people to get pissed off at you for saying Virtua Fighter and Daytona USA are not good games. Can you explain yourself? I just think the ports weren't good. That's all. I mean, the ports weren't received well because they weren't done correctly and it's most likely because uh they were rushed <laughs> a mm -hmm. couple months early before they were fully cooked right and on the other side we have the playstation you probably heard of it uh, i think it's still around i'm not sure yeah. um battle arena toshiden is that right toshiden toshiden toshinden uh espn extreme games kylik the DNA Imperative. What of it? the hell is that title? It's a weird title. The DNA Imperative. Imperative. Uh, NBA Jam Tournament Edition. Power Serve 3D Tennis. The Raiden Project. Or is it Raiden Project? Yeah. Um, Rayman. Ridge Racer. Street Fighter the Movie. Total Eclipse Turbo. And... I don't know. Like, I don't think a lot of these games are talked about. I think there's some great games. I mean, some okay games in here. Uh -huh. I think Ridge Racer is good. I don't think yeah. it's the best Ridge Racer, obviously. But, I mean, Pan's Dragoon isn't the best Pan's Dragoon game either. So, what do you think? Compare these two launch titles. When, if you're a kid and your mom's like, Barry, we're going we're gonna to get you a new console. Check out these titles. What are you going to get? Well, let's see. So... Let's let's say I got a Saturn and I got four games. I got Virtua Fighter, Panzer Dragoon, Daytona USA, and Clockwork Knight. Can you look at the PlayStation lineup and pick four games that match or best those four games? And I'm talking about both covering those genres and obviously staying within four. Can you? Maybe. Rayman, Clockwork Knights. There you go. Rage Racer, Daytona USA. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Which one else? We got Virtua Fighter. 
See, that's Street Fighter kinda... the Street Fighter the movie, dude. Come on, <laughs> same thing. Legendary. Um, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I would say that the PlayStation library came out later on, and you know, started started getting the big titles that uh, made it worth it. I think that happens a lot with Sony. Like you invest in their product, and then like two, three years later, they start pumping out the hits. Mm-hmm. But it's like right now they're doing that right now with PlayStation. You know, they had a big event the other day, and they're announcing a ton of titles. So PlayStation know, I mean... One. Yeah, I mean, I would say that between the two, it's kind of surprising because Sega Saturn, like you said, people did not consider it a 3D console, or they at least think it it stumbled at that. But all of those games are 3D games, whereas when you look at the PlayStation, um, I don't know about Kylie, I don't know, but NBA Jam, that's a 2D game. The Raiden Project, that's 2D. Rayman is 2D. Uh, Street Fighter the Movies, 2D. I mean, really, the only one jumping out at me is Ridge Racer. Yeah, the thing is, though, uh, Daytona USA and Virtual Fighter were both not received very well critically, so I can see why people would be hesitant. And you also have to think that the Sega Saturn was $100 more. So That's true. That kind of plays into a factor when you buy a console. How about, okay, look at it from the, the mind of a fanboy who loves Panzer Dragoon. <laughs> Obviously, the Saturn wins. All right, done. <laughs> done. It's over. Done. We rewrote, rewrote, rewrote history. Yeah, right now Saturn Four is uh, is out. Remember that Saturn Four event that was a few days ago? They announced. Oh yeah. Oh, Panzer Dragoon Legacy. It's gonna be so good. It's gonna have all wait. the games in a brand new game, and it's all remade from the ground up. Virtual Fighter uh, Eight. Oh, it looks good, dude. It's. I mean, Eight. You know, I feel like they're pumping them out, but each one. Sells a million day one, so who am I to, you know? Some of the best acting in that game. Some oh, of the man, best I wish I lived scenes. in that world. Where is that world? I don't know. What happened? Uh, <laughs> so usually when we do these episodes, we like to talk about uh, popular media during this time era to give us a sense of the world that this game was released into. These are the top four grossing movies in 1995. Brace yourself. Um, oh, boy. Batman Forever, Apollo 13, Toy Story, and Pocahontas. So, any of these movies you're a fan of? Because when I was a kid, I thought Batman Forever was a pretty good movie. I, I remember seeing Batman Forever, Toy Story, and Pocahontas in the theaters, which is kind of surprising because typically I kind of forget what movies I've seen in theaters. I remember Batman Forever because my mom took me, and it was just weird to sit there with like, what like Jim Carrey and uh, the Two Face, who was that? Um, just I like the actor. Yeah, just acting like complete idiots on screen. And I was like, huh. Lots of coke in that movie. Yeah. And there was uh, a lot of like zoom ins on their crotch and stuff too in that movie. It was like subtle. <laughs> like I'm like, I remember watching. When I was a kid. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Why does like, even then, I'm like, why is there nipples on his bad suit? I'm like, that's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah, um, Tommy Lee Jones was the one. That, that, but, I mean, Toy weird. Story, fantastic movie, uh, very innovative in terms of, you know, it, it's basically the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves of 3D films. It was really the the first of its uh, genre in, in animation. And it's uh, and it's crazy because it just like it's almost feels like the Sega Saturn had all the cards stacked against like um, against it. Had the PlayStation was easy to do 3D. Mm-hmm. Nintendo launched the all 3D console. They were 
pushing 3D really hard on their arcade side of things, so even your arcade people are giving you uh, pressure to do 3D games. And then Toy Story took off, so it was like 3D mania in 1995. Yeah, and I mean, going back to the um, the cutscenes for Panzer Dragoon, in Toy Story, what always fascinated me with the animation was, you know, you compare the running in the um, Panzer Dragoon cutscenes, and I know that Panzer Dragoon didn't have the budget that Toy Story did, but you look at the running and it's so mechanical. In Toy Story, they just did such a fantastic job in animating, especially with Woody, his kind of like, he almost had like stringy arms and legs that kind of flopped around when he ran. And so, you know, just just to compare the two from an animation perspective, I guess uh, that's where I was coming from. Have you watched the movie anytime, like uh, recently? I, Toy Story? I saw it. I saw Toy Story when it re-released to theaters, I think about five or six years ago in 3D. Um, and I've had it on Blu-ray, but I always watch Toy Story 2 and 3. I, I rarely go back to 1. Yeah, I, when I was watching it, I actually think 1 is the best one. Like, story-wise, I thought it was... Well, I mean, it's because the first one we've seen. That's probably yeah. why, but... Um, the human models are really ridiculous looking. I remember being a kid and being like, whoa, this looks real. It's obviously yeah. not real. It's CGI. I will say, I think Panzer Dragoon did a much better job at modeling their humans, even though they're much less detailed. God, the the Sid, like Sid, I know he's supposed to be a, a piece of shit kid, but man, that is some ugly modeling. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, um, <laughs> yeah, these are the games that came out. And actually, this is kind of interesting because... This really shows that Sega and Nintendo were like, well, Nintendo didn't even have a Nintendo 64 out, but that, that like everything was in between the transition period. So here's the games that released. Sega released Ristar and uh, which one other one? Uh, Comic Zone this year. So two games that were, I consider kind of legendary for the Sega Genesis, or at least underrated because not that many people talk about these two games. Uh, Chrono Trigger, uh, uh, Rayman came out this year, Twisted Metal, Time Crisis came out in Arcade, another big 3D game, mm -hmm. uh, and Donkey Kong Country 2 came out on the Super Nintendo. Any of these games that you're a fan of? I mean, Comic Zone, it was a game I did not play at the time, but I did play a few years later, and the animation in that's just, like, awesome. I think 1995 was really when the Sega Genesis was kind of at its peak in terms of just, you know, they were getting so much out of the console. And so to look back now and see that the Saturn launched around then, I, I can see where Tom Kalinske was coming from when he thought that the, the Sega Genesis had a lot more life in it. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I was a kid at the time that had a Sega Genesis, and I did not buy a Saturn until, like, 1999. I think I bought a Saturn the same year I bought a Dreamcast. And, and I was just... Yeah, and I, it was partially a money thing, but it was also, like, there were still so many great games coming out. Why did I need a Saturn? I, or, think, it was, you know? I think it was a mistake, too. Why? I think, yeah, Tom was right. I don't think... I mean, this is hindsight already, right? But you had the Sega Genesis, it was doing well. Nintendo wasn't even rushing it. You could have gave it another year to like perfect everything, see how it, the cards are stacking. Let Sony go first. The thing they should have done is been more developer-friendly, I think. Uh -huh. And it, they weren't. So that kind of sucks. History writes itself, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the Genesis, and you could argue that, oh, you know, it's it's a late 80s machine, really. It's been out for a long time, you know, like, I'm sure they probably considered development time, so they were looking at maybe 88, even 89, as being when it really was of that era. And so in 95, that was quite a long time ago to them. However, you gotta consider that the Sega Genesis also had a rebirth in 1991 with the release of Sonic. People like myself, they really became aware of Sega and the Sega Genesis when Sonic came out because that game really kind of reinvented the system and made people aware that, you know, it can do a lot more than some of the slower paced games that were coming out before then. And so I, I only had the Sega Genesis for four years at this point. Can you imagine my parents saying, Oh, you want a Sega Saturn? How much is it? Oh, look at that. Well, you've had your Genesis for four years. That thing's a piece of garbage now. You know, let's replace it. No, that never yeah. happened. Exactly. And I don't think the 32X and all these other things helped anything. I don't know why they did it. I guess they, they really wanted to extend the life of the Genesis. You had the brand going just... Yeah. You know, just well, extend I guess it a little bit longer. <laughs> to, to fill some podcast time, I did want to ask you... Were you aware of the, the Sega 32X and the Sega CD when they came out as a kid? As a kid, I knew about the 32X because of ads. And mm-hmm. the Sega CD, not so much. I felt like in America, they didn't push it as much as they pushed the 32X. And I think we know why now, because 32X was developed in America for American audience. Mm-hmm. They tried to push that one harder. But I didn't know about 32X. I didn't want a 32X. I remember my cousin was telling me about how like his friend had it and you had to like hook it up and it was a hassle. I'm good. I hate hooking stuff up. <laughs> just, it, just let it work. I don't care about the graphics. I didn't think they were that great. I wasn't even interested in 3D when uh, the Sega Saturn came out, to be honest. Mm, um, yeah. At the time, I was still into 2D games. I felt like 2D still had a, a lot to mature. And you were aware of the Saturn when it came out, correct? Oh, of course, yes. I, I was aware. It's weird. It's one of those weird things where, like, you're a kid, you know? Yeah. So you're always into video games. It was. I watch TV, and I'm like, maybe they'll play a video game on TV. It's like, I feel like kids these days are like... God, <laughs> are I'm just jealous. I'm jealous of them. That's it. I'm jealous are that they get to watch video games anytime they want on Twitch, and I don't when I was growing up. If we're going into the whole in my day sort of sort of old man complaining, I will say that I'm jealous of today's kids in that they understand how not only how video games work, but what consoles are, what add-ons are, the whole history of things. Cuz I'll be honest, like in 1991, 1992, I was how old was I? I was like 8, 7 or 8. I didn't understand what a Sega CD was or what a 32X was. I just knew you, you take the video game machine, you put the cartridge in, and then you play the game. And so I, I think, and this you know this relates to Sega Saturn, Panzer Dragoon, and I'll get to that, but I, I think that Sega just did a really bad job at explaining to kids what a Sega CD and what a 32X was. Because to me, I, I knew Sonic CD existed, and I knew Knuckles Chaotix existed, but I knew there was a, a wall that was preventing me from playing them, and I didn't really understand what they were. I was like, do I have to... What is? So I buy it? Like, it's the CD. Is it a system? And it was, put, even, it was even confusing for me. Like, I had yeah. people at school that had older brothers I had a, that would explain this kind of thing. You know, they were all into the game magazines. They knew everything. They were gamers. 
They you, you said the, the game, the game magazines, right? The game magazines. Okay, yeah. I heard game it's magazines. A, the game magazines. They get the. Game. <laughs> You're thinking about dick too much today in this yeah, podcast. Sorry. <laughs> go on, go on. So yeah, you you get information from people that are older than you, and uh, that's the only reason I would talk to anybody. <laughs> But but sometimes you'd get bad information from people that are older than you. Sometimes they'd lie to you. Oh yeah, you know? um, <laughs> or they get convinced. wrong information. Well, the Jaguar has sixty-four bits. It's obviously better than the Sega Saturn. I know that for a fact. Somebody told yeah. me that. So I mean, <laughs> I was aware of the thirty-two X. However, I was using my knowledge of what Knuckles and Sonic and Knuckles was, and so I assumed that it was like a lock-on device that you just popped into the top, and then it would like supercharge your games. I had no idea that there were all these wires, um, and that there was separate AC units. And so when I guess what I was getting at, uh, long story short. The Sega Saturn, when that came out, I was aware that it was a new Sega system. I remember the Archie comics would do little things like saying, hey, there's a Sega Saturn coming out, Nights in the Dreams, it's going to have a uh, comic book series. And I was a, but what always threw me was that cartridge slot in the back. And that's what made me think that it was like a Genesis 2 and you could play your Genesis games in it. You know what? When I first got it, or when I. Yeah, when I first got the Sega Saturn, I thought the same thing. I, I was like trying to put my Genesis carts on it. I'm like, this, oh, it's backwards compatible. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I didn't even know what backwards compatible was at the time, but I'm like trying to stick my uh, Sega Genesis cartridges, and I'm like, oh, no, it comes with CDs. And uh, trying to figure it out what it was for until way later on, they told me I had to buy a memory card, which I thought was the biggest ripoff in the world. I was yeah. very angry. I was like, wait, I had to buy a game. A memory card, and then the arm, and then batteries now because now it saves with batteries. It's a big hassle, man. Yeah, and I mean it. You know, going back to Panzer Dragoon, it's a shame that the Sega Saturn did not receive the reception that I I think it did deserve. But it just it came too early. It came into an overcrowded market, not just with competitors, but um, you know we've we've talked before in 1994, the year before 1995. Um, if you can do the math, it's year before uh that year i believe 94 95 every single sega piece of hardware outside of the uh the sg what is it the sg 1000 and the dreamcast because one was way old and one wasn't around yet was being supported so you had master system games released in some regions you had the genesis you had the 32x the sega cd was on its last legs. You had the Sega Pico, you had the Sega Game Gear, you had the Nomad, which didn't have any games technically, but it was out there. That's a lot. That's insane. It's crazy how much games the Sega developed for all these consoles too. Like the Game Gear, I'm like, it's it's pretty good support. You think about the Master System in Brazil, it was still selling. You mm -hmm. have the Sega Saturn, which was alive in Japan for like a bajillion years because they all bought it over there. Yeah. And Sega could never get their consoles to be popular worldwide. Like, all three regions just dominating. They couldn't do it, and that kind of sucks. Yeah. But Panzer Dragoon's a great game. I suggest everybody look into it and play it. There was a PC version, which is probably already outdated and you can't play it on Windows 10. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a Sega Saturn version, which obviously is the original. And then there was a port in Panzer Dragoon Orta on Xbox. That's right. It's unlockable. And uh, that's it. There's no more. You can't play it anywhere else. I wish there was a port. I think it would be great to play on, like, your 3DS. But 
it's probably never gonna happen because what I heard is the source code is lost and a lot of games in this per time period lose their source code which is a shame that means they will have to remake it from the ground up is it worth it uh, probably for a company like Sega not really because do you think there's still a big fan base really demanding a new Panzer Dragoon game or a remake? I think there's well, a cult. I think there's a cult fan base, but gone. Crimson Dragon came came and went. Uh, you know that was the closest we'd ever get. I think at this point, there was also the Panzer Dragoon track in Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing, which was awesome. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, you know, we really haven't seen too much, though. I guess if, if you are listening to this and you've never played Panzer Dragoon, like George said, it's on the Saturn, I'd recommend getting a used Saturn and getting the game and start getting, starting collecting, because it's expensive right now, and it's not going to get any cheaper for Sega Saturn. Oh, definitely not. It has a cult fan base, you know, and it's driven up the price. I would say you can play burnt CDs on the Sega Saturn. There's a, there's a few walkthroughs, a few ways of doing it. We're not going to talk about it on this podcast. But uh, if you do some Google searching, you get a Sega Saturn. You could do a, you could burn them, save some money. Sega Saturns are you could find them pretty cheap, fifty bucks mm -hmm. le or under. That's what I recommend. And if you like the show, uh, give us a rate uh, review on uh, iTunes. Uh, we're also on Stitcher Radio, and uh, you could get our RSS feed on our site. Thanks for supporting the show. Tell people that like Sega to, you know, listen in. <laughs> Give us a couple of emails at uh, segabits at gmail.com. Let us know what you want to hear the next week or the week before we do this one. I'll just tell you this right now. We're going to be doing a Nights episode and a mini episode on Christmas nights for Christmas. So, you know, look forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, you think as we play our way out, we'll read some tweets from fans just uh, sharing what they thought about Panzer Dragoon? Go for it. All right. Well, we have uh, Segabit's writer and fan, Flair Habanero. He said, Admittedly, because of the hardware limitations, it can feel kind of rough, but I do like the aesthetics of the game. The most satisfying part of the game is locking onto a crowd of enemies and just sniping them all in a laser blast. And you can do that in res as well. That's, oh, that's yeah. my own personal comment. Um, <laughs> Alex Ronheim said, Love it. It was my first Saturn game, and the art direction was amazing. Went on to buy the entire series and still love them. Good man. We also have Griffin Bound. He said, I think it's a great game, but it feels a bit clunky compared to Zwei, the sequel. The orchestrated flight music is still amazing, though. Well, we agree. And we have I underscore M underscore Clark DV. It's just a pure shooter, and sometimes you need that. Simple, super gameplay. The art direction was great, too. And then finally, we have Lieutenant Tofu. Great shooter and crispy 32-bit era 3D. Don't see what all the fuss is about about the RPG. Where's all the pew-pew? So <laughs> hashtag pew-pew. Hashtag, hashtag, so everyone hashtag where's all the pew-pew. Let's yeah, get that. where's all the pew-pew, Sega? Let's get, that, let's get that trending. Yeah, get, get, give us some pew-pew, please. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next Sega Talk. <laughs>